right here in this Bible. So, Lord, we want to hear you this morning. We want to hear you speak to us. Lord, may we just bear our hearts before you in all that we are. Lord, I pray that we just leave everything that the world keeps dragging and yelling and screaming at us about. Lord, may we just leave that outside. Lord, we're here this morning to meet you and your word. Because, Lord, we want to see you. We want to know you. And, Lord, we want to please you. We want to become more like you. Lord, teach us this morning. And, Lord, may all that we do here this morning be for your glory, not ours. Lord, we want to glorify you. We just pray that in your precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, preparing for this in Hebrews, I got to tell you, folks, I hope you've been reading. Like we said last week, you got to go back to the Old Testament. You got to keep it open, right? I hope you've been doing that. As you've been reading, I'm going to get that out of the way. I don't want him talking. We're going to uh, go back this morning. We're going to take up kind of where we left off last week. Uh, we're going to go back and take up at the end of verse 3, I guess, because we're really going to start in verse 4. And, um, and uh, we're going to just go to him this morning. Um, let me tell you one thing that I, that's been said by a lot of preachers before, whether they're preaching this or anything else, and that is when you really come down to it, the ultimately, the gospel message comes down to three questions. Who is Jesus Christ? What has he done? And what does that mean to us? What does that mean to you and me? So what we're really talking about here is the person of Jesus Christ and the works of Jesus Christ. We don't ever think about it that way. As a matter of fact, as evangelists, what we do is when we go out and share the gospel, we talk about his works, what he's done for me first, instead of going to the person of Jesus Christ. That's what Hebrews is about. Who is Jesus Christ? i got to tell you, when you read this and you read this Hebrews and you read him, you can't help but worship him. You can't help but fall down before him. Jesus Christ is God. And Jesus Christ died for each and every person here this morning so you could be reconciled to him. Jesus Christ, God himself. And when you see who he is, as we read about here in in Hebrews, I hope it moves you. There's times when this week I had to just stop. You can't help but just fall down before him for who he is. You know, I also said something else last week when you read through Hebrews. As you read through it and you find a little bit more about Jesus Christ, you're lifted up to a new level. And when you're lifted up to a new level, you worship Him even more. And you show Him even more, I hope, too. Read with me. I'm going to begin this morning in a, in a, a verse. I guess we'll start in verse 4. Jesus. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels, having become as much superior to the angels as his name he has inherited, is more excellent than theirs? For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I'll... I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, 
let all God's angels worship him. And of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, lay the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe, and will roll and will roll them up like a garment they will be changed but you are the same and your years have no end and to which of the angels has he ever said sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation we're talking about Jesus and we're comparing him to angels we talk about that in a minute. You, know, you ever think about that when you see angels in the Bible? I go back to, to Isaiah, you know, and, and he says when he was high and lifted up in the temple and he saw two seraphim. Seraphim means burning ones in the Hebrew. And he saw these two her, her seraphim hovering above him and they had three pairs of wings. Now, this is an angel we're talking about, the glory of God. Two angels, their, their wings, and they were fiery wings, two of them over their eyes and two of them flapping around, beating, beating everything, and, and, uh, and, and two uh, were in the air, and, and they're, they're going, in Hebrew, they're going, kadosh, 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 holy, holy, holy. It's pretty much of a, a magnificent view, isn't it? And Isaiah was traumatized pretty awesome thinking about how how awesome these angels are that he actually got to see and come in contact remember here's another thing when, remember when when samson's father and mother uh, the, the angel had come and told him what samson was going to be and so they wanted to do something for the angel to welcome him. he looked like a man to them and so they did he said make me an offering to god so they made an offering to god and when they build the fire and their burning offerings going up, the angel joins in in the fire and goes up to God. Awesome. I don't know about you, I think that's awesome. Angels definitely can be that way. But what are angels? All this power of God displayed, what are angels? And, and what does God's word tell us? That's what I want to know when I'm reading about all this in Hebrews, don't you? You want to know? Okay. Well, let me tell you what. If I told you everything that I had studied by Tuesday... We'd be here till next Tuesday. And you know, ask Iris. I told her I was a little worried about this sermon. I started putting all this together. And, and normally, you know, I type it all out and I work it out how I'm going to deliver it and everything. And normally if I have about 16 pages here, that's 45 minutes. Well, Tuesday I had 28 pages. And I said, you know what? This is, we, we can't do this. So I'm going to let you do the homework on your own, okay? Go read about angels. You will be awed what you find. They're mentioned over a hundred times in the Old Testament and over 160 times in the New Testament. You go look at that and see how they're played out. And it says, in Revelations 5 tells us that their numbers, you can't count them. Myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of myriads and myriads. I mean, go figure that one out. That goes forever and ever, doesn't it? That goes past the next Tuesday. In most cases, they're invisible. 
like when the Lord had to open Balaam's eyes, remember that? So he could see the angels blocking his way around him, remember that? That was in Numbers 22, 31, if you can go look that one up. And then Elijah had his servant's eyes open so he could see all the chariots circling around him, chariots of fire circling all around him. That's kind of neat too, isn't it? Couldn't see them until the Lord had his eyes open. And, and sometimes when the angels are visible, it's scary. You know, they have a human-like appearance. And sometimes they're mistaken for men. Uh, you go back and look in Genesis 18.12, 19.1, Mark 16.5. Sometimes they, they, they shine with just glorious, awesome light and they're blinding. Um, other times they've appeared as these marvelous winged uh, I said earlier, and it's almost like marvelous winged insects, but glorious. You know, they got all these parts and everything. They're just awesome. Um, see that in Exodus 25, 20, Isaiah 6, 2. They're all angels, and the Hebrew word is malach, and the Greek word is angelos. You know what that means in both languages? Messengers. They're messengers of God. They are God's messenger bearers. They're his, his creation. Not anything that we can control or anything like that. But when they do appear to deliver his message, they do some incredible things. Like they can stop whole armies. We worry about all these wars going around us. Let me tell you what, I read the last part about the angels in Revelation. God wins. His messengers help him with it all. God wins. It's all about is, and you know they can stop whole armies. They can deliver captives, um, you know, blindly. Um, and here's the thing: I, I read one of the one of the commentaries I read. The guy who's into angelology says there, there's four specific functions for angels. Now let me tell you what: I would break it down to probably more than that if we want to do all this angelology stuff. Here's one thing that I I do agree with. Angels continuously worship and praise the God they serve. They're always serving God. God made them. That's what he made them to do, to serve him and to be his messengers. And You can see that in Job 38, Psalm 103, Isaiah 6, Revelation 4. I know you don't want all of this, but you can find that all the way through the Bible. Here's the second thing they do. They, they communicate God's message to us, to man. That's what angels do. They're bringing that message. They're not here to nuke you. They're not here to, you know, do strange things at Halloween or anything like that. They deliver God's message to us. What is God's message? He wants us. And he sent his son, gave his only son, so that we could be returned to him. Angels bring that message. That's what they do for a living. They also minister to believers at God's will. Um. The angel of the Lord, I'm going to read you Psalm 34, 7. The angel, angel, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. You belong to Jesus? You belong to God? Okay. God, at his will, can send them to protect you. Psalm 91, for he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You know what? They, I, we see, I love, we used to sing a song about they delivered people miraculously from prison who were out cheering the God. Remember that? Paul and Silas, I love that song. They, we used to sing about that. You know, earthquakes and all that. The angels did that at God's command. They always give God the glory, right? 
Um, angels rejoice at the conversion of sinners. All heaven celebrates when someone comes to Jesus Christ when they're saved. We should too, should we not? Yeah. And they're, they're present with the church. It says that in 1 Corinthians 11. And they watch the lives of, of us and they scratch their heads. They're intrigued by what we do and how we respond to God. Um, you can see that too in 1 Corinthians 4, 9 and 1 Timothy 5. They carry believers away at death to their home with God. They actually collect us. You can actually see that in Luke 16. And here's the thing. Angels are always with God. He made them for a reason, right? For his purpose, for his will. They do things too at the end end times. We had a lot of talk lately about the end times. That same discussion has been going on for 2,000 years, by the way. Angels will be agents in the final earthly judgments and the second coming. Did you know that? Uh, with the voice of an archangel and a loud trumpet of the Lord will the elect be taken up to eternity with him. That's in Matthew 24. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. And then the angels, here's what they do too at the end of the time. They separate the wheat from the shaft. That's the goats and the sheep or the bad folks and the good folks at judgment. And that's in uh, Matthew 13. And then the, the, the uh, book of Revelation tells us they will open the seals, blow the trumpets, and pour out the bowls of wrath. And then they... Uh, they will ex- also execute the judgment against Satan and the servants, and that's in Revelations 19. Wow. Busy folks, aren't they? Awesome. Angels are awesome. Are they not? They have God's authority to exercise his power, his awesome power. We can't even grasp. We can't even know. And despite all their magnificent power and everything that God wills them to do and they do for him, their significance fades when compared to Jesus. Jesus is in control. Jesus is God. Jesus reigns. Your Savior that you know personally reigns over this kind of power, over angels. And that's what Hebrews 1, 4 through 14, the rest of Hebrews 1 tells us all about. Christ is superior to the angels. Now, you know what? So why in the world, knowing all that, why is it so important that, you know, Chapter 1 is only 14 verses long. And why in the world does, does, does uh, 4 through 14, that's 11 verses, how does that, why is all that dedicated to Christ's superiority over the angels? You know why? Because the Jews at this time were drifting away from God's truth. They were being influenced by the world. And they were, they were looking for some other power other than Jesus. Uh-huh. Actually, they were just now, they just came to Jesus. Let me tell you just a little, do it a little scursus even from this sermon. Back then, that was this called the intertestamental period between when the, the, the last book of the Old Testament was written and, and Jesus came. You know, there's a big gap there. Also, what was going on then was the second temple period. And, what, and since they built the second temple, people started getting these strange notions because they weren't worshiping like they prescribed exactly how God had told them to do. And um, so they were trying to kind of develop in their own theology the way they thought it ought to be. And they got into this thing. They started anthropomorphizing angels. In other words, they started making them look like men so that they could understand what they were. That's also how the Pharisees and all that started doing. So see what's happening? The church is kind of changing because it's getting away from God's word the way that he taught us we should go. 
and learn his word morning, noon, and night. Put it on your doorposts. Wear it on your foreheads. Tell your children about it. Teach it to them all day and all the time. Instead, they were going and they were letting the church, the new church, teach them how it should be rather than working with God themselves. Like God said in Isaiah, he said, come let us reason together. Not, not you and Oprah, not you and anybody else, you and God working together in his Bible. And you do it together in a Proverbs 17, 17 kind of way. Iron sharpens iron. But we do it together with him leading us. That's what was happening to the church back then in that inner test. And here they got to develop this notion that angels look like men. You know, we can kind of see them. We know them. So we're going to kind of make them look like us. And they got this idea, this strange notion that each of us had a personal guardian angel. That's where the idea came from. It's not in the Bible. But that's where that idea came from. We don't have angels at our disposal, folks. Angels belong to God. He made them for his purpose. And so that he could take care of us, yes. But they made him for him. So here's another thing that's going on. They have that kind of strange theology that's being developed within the church. And then they're also starting to give into the peer pressure of their day because they had a government that was persecuting them. Starting to persecute them because they were Christians. So they said, okay, maybe we shouldn't be talking about it as Christians anymore. So to keep their control, their level of their life comfortable, and live in comfort with him, they were tempted to compromise their beliefs about the person of Christ, of Jesus Christ, about who he really is. And here's all they had to do. They had to agree that Jesus was an angel. He's not God. He's just an angel. He's a powerful being. He was a good man. He lived here. He walked among us. Great martyr. Showed us how to die right and all that. But he's just an angel. You could even agree if you wanted out from under all the peer pressure and you could be acceptable in the church and and to God and and to the, the government. Then all you had to say was, okay, he was a good man. He's just a powerful man. Really good guy. I don't like... Follow, I can follow him and still get along with all my friends. As long as he didn't say he was the son of God. That he wasn't God. Hmm. Everybody would really be happy living together. And those weirdo Christians, they could still say they had had an encounter with a higher power. Just not God. And not the son of God. I'm so glad we don't have that kind of peer pressure today. What? You're laughing? You mean to tell me in the new and improved 21st century church, a nation under God, we don't have that kind of pressure, do we? To walk around and display the living God, Jesus Christ, in our lives? Why? That wouldn't be acceptable. And to say it right out loud... We're kind of like them, aren't they? I mean, no one has to deny Jesus Christ outright to get along with the the schools or the government or anything like that, do they? We're not allowed to talk about it. Oh, wait a minute, that would be witnessing. Mm -hmm. About him living in me. Okay, sorry about that. I guess I'm getting off the subject. That was a temptation that the early church was facing when the writer of Hebrews wrote this. 
So all he had to do was, was prove to them the superiority of Jesus over the angels. That would mean that he would really be the son of God and he would really be God himself, wouldn't it? And let me tell you what, I love the way he does this. It's kind of like, you know, my wife is into tapestry and I really enjoyed watching her all these years. It's kind of like a tapestry weaving. He, He takes pieces of the Bible that show that Jesus is the son of God from the Old Testament. And he kind of weaves it all together. And here's the thing. If if you like theology and you like studying the Bible, he takes an Old Testament verse from three different sections of the Bible, from the writings, from the prophets, and from the law. Isn't that neat? Kind of picking different things off of my my palette for the tapestry. He takes uh, Hebrews, uh, Psalm 2 from the writings, 2 Samuel from the prophets, and he takes Deuteronomy 32 from the law. So let's, let's do it first. First thing he says is the name of Jesus Christ, the name. Christ has a superior name. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited, is more excellent than theirs? Let me tell you, to a Jew back then, and should be to us today, a person's name really revealed his basic nature, who he was. Um, the place in the family, his place in the nation. It, it's really in his name. But once he got that name, it was like a, it was like a, a, a spiritual tattoo. You couldn't get rid of it. It's what people saw in you, it was, it was there. Jesus had the name Son. It's more like a title. But it's a son from all eternity. And it's the name that he will always keep. Jesus' name is Son. And his name says that he was, was in, he inherited. So to a Jew, the name was something that went with his whole family. It's who he was. He inherited it. Jesus is the Son from the beginning, now, and to the end. God's Son. Can't do any better than that, can you? Job, Job 1 6. Now, let me tell you, there's something that I know somebody, I read this in another somebody trying to be controversial um, there were men that were called the sons of God in Job 1 that's a Jewish idiom and, and what it was when the people would gather together in a group and say okay fellas gang you know whatever they say sons of God gathered together because they had a, a leader who was like a father to them that's, so it was an idiom that's the reason when you see that someone wants to argue with you, get rid of them Job 1 6 that's what it means so here's the one. I like the way the, the writer starts this, this tapestry that is weaving. He starts it with Psalm 2-7. He says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Psalm 2 was known to the Jews forever and ever as a messianic passage. It was, it was actually prophesying Jesus. It's talking about Jesus in Psalm 2 before he was ever born. And it, it was understood to be... It was, the Messiah would be fulfilled in a future day by a descendant of David, which he was, and he would be crowned king, which he is. And God himself spoke to them in, in Psalm 2. It keeps coming up when Jesus was baptized. Remember when he said, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased? Psalm 2. So God is confirming that Jesus is his son, the son of God. Jesus was always God's son from the beginning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. 
Jesus has always been with him. And God was always his father. The verse says, says, you are my son today. I have begotten you. So wait a minute. His son's today? Paul, Jew of all Jews, great Jewish scholar, he explains that to us. He starts in Romans 1, 4, and he says, Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection. By his resurrection from the dead. And in Acts 13, Paul proclaims the resurrection fulfilled in, in Psalm 2, 7. He quotes it again. He says, And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as it was written in the second Psalm. You are my beloved son. Today I have become your father. There it is. Jesus has always been the son. He's always been God, hasn't he? He's always been God's son. You know what? Jesus was given the name son. The angels weren't. No angels ever had that name. And look, he continues with, with this argument with a second quotation, and this one's from Second Samuel, or again, and he's talking about the angels. Uh, uh, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. It's also a quotation from a well-known Messianic passage in the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant was God's covenant with David uh, ongoing that he would prepare, uh, provide a, a son. And it happened, remember, when uh, Nathan uh, told David after the death of his son that he would build a house for God and establish a royal throne through him, and it would endure forever. Remember that part? And God's word to the son, Christ, were, I will be his father and he will be my son. You know what? God fulfilled that too through David, didn't he? See what's going on here? God is setting up Jesus, his son, to be to rule over everything. Do you believe that he does? He does. He does now and forevermore. Well, you know, the Davidic covenant, David, of course, couldn't, couldn't do it because he's too much of a warrior and Solomon failed and, and all the following Davidic kings failed. So the Messianic promise really still hadn't been fulfilled when this was this Hebrews was written, or at least when before Christ came. And it came to the angel Gabriel's announcement. Aha, listen to this. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Do you remember that one? Hmm. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Heard that before? In the Old Testament. Jesus is God's son, and he's telling the world all about it. Jesus is superior to the angels because he was always God's son. There, we just saw two Old Testament sonship, I guess, prophecies. And they were marvelously fulfilled in Jesus Christ when he came to this earth. His name is Son. Nobody else could have it. The angels were his messengers. He reigns over everything, including his powerful creative beings. And his superiority over the angels, they worship him. The angels worship Jesus. Jesus doesn't worship the angels. Jesus is in charge. All that power, 
and all that power in the angels. Jesus is the one that's in control. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. These are the last lines of verse 43 in Deuteronomy 32, back to the law part. In its original context, the, the statement about the angels bowing down and in worship is in reference to, you ready for this? Yahweh. Yahweh in the Old Testament. Yahweh in the New Testament. You see what's happened here? The writer of Hebrews has just said, Jesus is Yahweh. Whoa, there's your proof. Jesus and God are one. That's a Trinitarian thing that we understand, or we're trying to understand, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? Jesus is God, and it's right here in front of us when we read it every time. If we just keep keep him first. So just like Jesus said, and God's angels worship Christ at his birth. Remember when we hear this in just a few months? And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels are worshiping God's Son coming to earth. The angels are worshiping God. Why don't we? Shouldn't we be worshiping like the angels? God's given them all the power as his messengers to do powerful things in front of our very eyes for our sake. And they're worshiping him, Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus was undoubtedly worshiped by the angels in eternity past when he walked on this earth, and he will be forever and ever. It's going to be a good time when we get to heaven, isn't it? What are you going to do when you crawl up next to this giant insect, 300-foot insect, fiery insect? He's worshiping God, and so are you. We're worshiping them together. It's kind of an awesome thing to think about, isn't it? Hmm. And we think about all these angels in such a wrong way. Let me, let me tell you what. That last picture in Revelation 5, when we're all worshiping God, man, and, and the angels and everything that can worship, worships him. When I read that is when I just stop wherever I am. I'm in my office here, my office there, or wherever. I can't stop but praise God. Can I read that to you real quick? Revelation 5. This is God's revelation to John. John is seeing this in a spiritual context. He says, John talking, Then I looked, and behold, I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. Everybody's worshiping Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, And to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Angels don't worship angels. The only one that can can do worship is Jehovah. Jesus. God. One and the same. Their job and our job is to lift up Jesus. Everywhere we go, no matter where we are and who we are, he's living in there. And I got to tell you, if you're praising him with all your heart, people are going to see that, and they're going to they're going to want to know what that is inside of you. 
Tell them. Don't be ashamed. We serve Jesus, God, the resurrected Jesus. Christ is superior to the angels is what this is. a, Because you know what? The angels are servants. But the Son is sovereign. He's in control. Psalm 104.4 is quoted here regarding the angels being servants. It says, of the angels, he says, he makes the angels winds and, and his ministers a flame of fire. You know, angels do spectacular. They inhabit the world. They inhabit the wind and the fire. And they do all that for God, for his service, for what he commands them to do, for his will. They know or they are following what his plan is, what his perfect will is. And they do that. They have all the power that God's given them to do that. Remember when, when the angel shot up through the through the flame at Manoah's, uh, uh, Samson's father's sacrifice. But in doing this, they're only servants. They're just servants of the Almighty God. On the other hand, Christ as a son is eternally sovereign. And here is where he quotes Psalm 45, 6. This is a marriage psalm. It was for a Hebrew king. But it's phrased in a, in a language that can only be fulfilled by the Davidic king, which is Jesus Christ. Psalm 45. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. His throne, his scepter, his anointing, it's all a, a description of God's, of Christ's brilliant sovereignty, his complete control over everything that is. His throne, that's his rule. Uh, it will never end. His scepter, that's his authority. It will be executed in his righteousness, a righteousness that he established in becoming a sacrifice for our sins. Wow. Jesus is a pretty neat guy, isn't he? incredibly powered and his anointing with the oil of joy refers to the heavenly joy as as sovereign king of kings which he is and that was the joy that was set before him we're going to read about in Hebrews 12 too angels his servants may at his command take on incredible forms incredible power Um, you might be a flying 30 foot glorious insect looking thing or they might be a 300 foot giant warrior Um, and they may perform feats that are far beyond our understanding, our capability to understand but they are still his servants Christ is eternally enthroned sceptered, anointed sovereign it's impossible to even think of Jesus being like an angel. We can't anthropomorphize Jesus, although God showed us him in incarnate form, but Jesus is God, and he's in charge of it all. And let me tell you what, his existence is his very proof of superiority. When he quotes Romans, uh, Psalm 102, 25, 
as it's recorded here in verse 10 and 12, it's actually right out of Psalms. Here's what he says. And you, and he's, this is Jesus, God talking about Jesus in our very scripture right here in Hebrews. He says, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, but like a robe you will roll them up. Like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same and your ears, your years will never end. You know, those are just thoughts beyond our comprehension. We're trying to see Jesus here. It's the superiority of Jesus to everything. And we're getting descriptions. I don't know about you. I can't even think like that. You know, these clothes. I go through a lot of clothes, I guess. I wear them out, you know, for the wrong reasons. But, you know, I go through a lot of clothes in my lifetime. You know, how many how many sets of clothes do you think you go through in your lifetime? A lot, right? Jesus goes through whole universes without wearing out. He says, like the garments that he wears, are going to roll them up. Jesus is in control of all the universe. He's God. And everything. And he's, his life never ends. And none of his things ever wear out. Because he's God. Because he created them. Contrast that to angels. You know what? They're God's creation. So you know what? That makes them temporal. Temporary. However, God is in has willed them to be in existence forever with him as his servants. So when the suffering Jewish believer first heard this, all this about this, these assuring words that Jesus Christ is forever and they belong to him, that's a lot of relief, don't you think? That should be our relief today too. Jesus is forever. And we belong to Him. You know what? If you've never ever received Him, don't wait. Do it now. And you can be with Him forever. Because i got to tell you, the rest of that Revelation story, you want to go read it? It's not pretty. What happens to those who don't belong to Jesus? Who go, go away with a world that He does destroy? Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. You know that one, don't you? That's also in Hebrews, by the way. It's over in Hebrews 13, 8. One more argument that he has about Jesus' superiority to everything right here. And this is the clenching one. Um, and that's his vocation. A lot of people here, you know, some people may be out of a job or whatever. Jesus' job is forever. And if you belong to him, you're with him forever. Isn't that good to know? Christ rules Angels serve. You know what? There's one. Te- there's one. I bet here's a bit of trivia you don't know. Um, do you know what verse in the New Testament is quoted by the New Testament more than any any other? Anybody know what that is? Fourteen times. It's about Christ being the superior ruler of all. We should know that one, shouldn't we? Jesus even quoted it himself and applied it to himself in Mark 12. It's actually Psalm 110 where it was lifted in the New Testament. And it's quoted here in verse 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? (laughs) You know what the answer to that one is, by the way? No one. Only Jesus. 
you know, I hear, you understand that verse. I know a lot of people read that and they don't really get that because that didn't really mean much to us in our culture. Um, it's always a custom for a defeated king to go before the one who had lorded over him, the one that won the battle, and he would bow down before him. He is now his lord, his ruler, get it? And he would put his foot, the ruling king would put his foot on his neck to show that he was in control, and that was his footstool. And he would kiss the conqueror's feet while he was doing that. That was always been the tradition. We don't do that anymore because uh, when we when we beat them, they're dead. One day, every knee will bow before Jesus Christ, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. It's in Philippians two ten. And let me tell you what, everybody in that group, us, everybody here, amen, everybody in that group, you know who else is in that group? The angels. They're going to be there too. Everybody, every creature, it says. And you know what? Here's another thing. The good ones and the bad ones too are going to be there because Jesus Christ is Lord of all and always will be because Jesus is superior to all. That's what we're reading you like this Hebrews thing? Yeah. It's kind of good to know all that, isn't it? If this doesn't assure you, I don't know what will. Jesus Christ is Lord. It's his job to rule. It's his vocation. So he didn't need a vocation specialist, did he? And the angel's vocation is serving. Are they not, look at verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are inherit, uh, to inherit salvation? Their serving God is not a disgraceful vocation. It's not a lowly thing at all, is it? Far from it. It's magnificent to serve. But it's inferior to the Son's vocation of ruling the universe. So let's go back to these Jews that are reading this for the first time about Jesus being superior even to the angels. You know, here's this stressed out Jewish believer who's being tempted to say that Christ is an angel. He's just, you know, something so everybody can understand, so everybody else can understand that he was kind of like us. He's a man. And so they did that so they could escape persecution from their government and from their peers, from everything that went on all around them. God's word issues a clear call. Christ is superior to everything, even the angels. The angels are more powerful than our government. Are they not? One angel could wipe out our whole government like that. The ones who are ruling us. That's why Jesus rules us. That's another thing. Jesus is superior. He has a superior name. He, the Son of God, has superior honor, higher esteem, does he not? And all the angels worship him because he has a superior job, vocation, and that is ruling. He's a sovereign king. He has superior existence. He is and always has been. And he's eternal and unchangeable. That's a status you and I could never reach without him, could we? But there's a message here for the stressed out church for today. I hope you've been hearing it as we've been talking. First, the Supreme Son is their God. Our God. Is he not? Is Jesus Christ your God? He is. 
Later on, he writes this in uh, verse 14 of chapter 4. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens. I don't even need that, do I? For, for we, do, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. Christ's superiority is for all believers. He's superior over everyone who believes. Every believer's service that is worshiping in a, in a world that's falling apart. I had a lot of thought about this week. I met with some other people, some pastors, some other churches, one of them not far from here. And they're falling apart. They don't worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ all the time, they don't come together as believers to celebrate him the one who's superior to all who is the God of all who has saved us all and worship him for who he is oh people we've got to worship our Lord and our Savior who loves us who loves us every day no matter what's going on around us he is superior to all all the things that are around us, all the evil that's around us, all of the all of the wrong ways the culture's trying to pull us. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is God. And he's God of our, us, isn't he? Why do we listen to all of that noise around us? Why do we pay any attention to it at all? You know, we were talking about that this week. I can use that illustration. We talked about the carnival. Iris and I were, as we worship together and pray together. I was thinking about this time of the year when we were kids, we always went to the state fair, which was in our, our town. And it, it was this, it had the big carnival, it had the big rodeo. I'm sorry, we're from out west. It had the rodeo, and, and everybody brought in all their prized livestock and everything. But the biggest and most exciting thing was is that they had this long fairway. It was a mile long, and it was just nothing but carnival stuff. You know, all the when the Cupid dolls, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I remember when I was going through, walking down there, all the noise. The guys were trying to win, get me to come over and, and throw a, a ball to, to win a, a, a Cupid doll for my girlfriend or something. You know, they were all and they're all hawking. You remember that? And I knew they were all scammers. And I couldn't, I still had to walk down that fairway and listen to all the noise around me. And I, I got to a point where I just couldn't stand You ever been there? That's what I feel like today, walking in this world. All the scammers and all the noise of the world at us. And you know what? If we keep our eyes on Jesus, I, can st- I still hear the noise because I'm in this world, but I know where I'm going. And I know there's a prize down there that's forever and ever. It's a prize this world cannot provide, isn't it? Oh, people, we don't need to listen to the noise. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. He's superior to everything around us, even the angels. 
All the angels have been sent by him as ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Is that you and me? Now, that's not to say we have these guardian angels that are going to keep us from slipping or anything like that. That's not what it's all about. They're here at the will of God. There's a story you may have heard. And, you know, I used to kind of put these these stories away. But this is a story that I got from. You ever read the book Angels by Billy Graham? You hadn't read that? A lot of people kind of put it because he was not real popular at the time. It was written among the, the press and all that. It's in the book of Angels. And it's a story about the, the legendary, he says, legendary John G. Patton of New Hebrides. He was a missionary that went out. But I want to read you this story. On a dark night about 100 years ago, a Scottish missionary couple found themselves surrounded by cannibals intent on taking their lives. That terror-filled night, they fell to their knees and prayed that God would protect them. Intermittent with their prayers, the missionary heard the cries of the savages and expected them to come through the door at any moment. But as the sun began to rise, to their astonishment, they found that the natives were retreating into the forest. The couple's hearts soared to God, giving him all the glory. It was a day of rejoicing. The missionaries barely, bravely continued their work. And a year later, the chieftain of that tribe was converted. And as the missionary couple spoke to him, he remembered the horror of that night. And he asked the chieftain why he and his men had not killed them that night. The chief replied, Who were all those men who were with you? The missionary answered, Why, there were no men with us. There were just me and my wife. And the chieftain began to argue with them, saying, There were hundreds of tall men in shining garments with drawn swords circling all about your house. So we couldn't attack you. What an amazing story. You believe that? I do. I do. One of a kind? Nah. Let me tell you what. There's thousands. We know. There's thousands. <laughs> I'm not going to tell that one. There, there were, uh, yeah, we, we've actually fled through the jungles of the Philippines on the back of motorcycles, and I lost my wife. And uh, she showed up again on the back of the same motorcycle. But it was a, you know what? They were watching over us that day because they were, we were actually didn't realize it at the time. We were actually being chased by Muslims who were chasing this this uh, tribe we were with, and uh, they actually changed the place where we were and all that kind of stuff. But and the guys on the motorcycles we thought were they're going to kill us. And I, uh, I'm not sure who they were. We never saw them again after that, did we? It's kind of neat, isn't it? Let me tell you what, there's thousands of stories like this out there. Thousands of stories. Angels are real. You know, maybe the Lord has dispatched a whole lot of angels. Maybe he has a, uh, a, an angel brigade that he sends out you know, to, to people who are out on missions or whatever. Let me tell you what, we're on mission here. We are on mission here. Did you hear me? This is a mission field. Because there are lots of people around us in our very own culture 
who don't know Jesus Christ and actually turn away from him. Our culture's calling out to them. The hawkers are yelling and screaming, and they're drawing a lot of people over to the Cupid dolls. Not us. We know Jesus Christ, don't we? And he's superior to it all, isn't he? So here's the message to the stressed out church of today. All of these stories that you hear about the angels and all these stories we read here about Jesus being superior, they're true. Jesus is the one that we are to follow. And we follow him through all of this noise. I believe Christ has assigned angels to minister to us for his purpose, for his will. Let me tell you what. We may not know exactly what his plan is here. But I know his plan is that all people will come to him. He died for everybody around us who will come to him and who will hear him. And you know what, folks? He's put us here. Right here in the middle of this noise. There's other noise other places, not far from here and far away from here. But Jesus Christ has put us here. And his will is for all men to know him as Savior and Lord. And someday... Everybody, whether they receive him as Savior and Lord now or they don't, are going to sit at his feet and know that he is Lord of all. Christ is superior to everything, isn't he? Every, everything around us. And let me tell you what, he's not only adequate, he's more than adequate for every need we have every minute and every hour as we're here walking for him. You know what? You have to believe that. It's in the Word of God. And it's superior to everything, isn't it? Amen? Amen. Lord, I thank you for your Word. I thank you, Lord, for you're in charge. Lord, I thank you that you are superior to everything. Everything around us. Every distraction. Lord, any and everything that we see and know. You're superior to it all. You're our God. Lord, I'm so grateful that before you this morning is a body of believers who call you Lord and follow you. Lord, our heart's desire, all of us, is that we can be more like you, more committed to you, to your superiority, Lord. We follow, we bow down today and call you Lord of our lives. So Lord, as we walk here, I pray, Lord, that we can see your plan for us today and tomorrow and each day, Lord, that you give us to be about your work according to your will, not ours, so that, Lord, many men, many people will come to Jesus Christ and make you Savior and Lord. Oh, Lord, enable us Fill us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.